0: Welcome to DLA Piper's Tech Law Podcast series with myself, Anthony Day, international fintech lead and partner at global business law firm DLA Piper, focusing on how we harness opportunity in the fintech sector. For today's podcast, I'm very lucky to be joined by two eminent industry executives in the fintech arena, and we're going to be exploring the key issues surrounding diversity and policy in the financial services sector. <music> Whilst I have the benefit of advising on a range of business-critical fintech projects globally, here I extend a special welcome to Georgia Hanias, Head of Global Communications and Diversity Programs at Innovate Finance, and Samir Galati, Policy Advisor at Innovate Finance. So digital transformation is radically changing the financial services sector at the moment and fintechs are really changing the way in terms of business models, route to market and interactions with customers. Which aspects of the fintech market or the fintech ecosystem do you think are really flourishing at the moment, Georgia? What do you think is hot right now and why?
1: Data analytics firms are very hot at the moment. I think any type of company that can help organizations streamline their processes uh, is very appealing. So we're seeing a lot of investment in analytics firms such as Essential Analytics, uh, Cybernetics, which is a very interesting firm that was just acquired by NASDAQ uh, a few months ago. That uh, is a success story for us because it was a very new uh, fintech play that came sort of into fruition about two years ago. A lot of money transfer, mobile payments companies as well are receiving a vast amount of investment and tremendous interest uh, from retailers and from the community itself. So companies like uh, YoYo Wallet, for instance, is beginning to dominate the high streets. So they've just signed up 10 big retailers. Um, they just received over 10 million in funding from very prominent VCs. And we're going to see a lot more of that happening as people start to embrace uh, the mobile uh, payments revolution, which has finally come. We've been talking about mobile it payments lasts. for so many <laughs> years, but I think it's finally come. And you have these new plays like YoYo Wallet uh, that are entering the high street alongside Apple Pay and, and PayPal. It's, it's a very exciting time. Whether or not they're all going to survive is another question. So we'll probably see some consolidation. But at the moment, it is a very hot uh, sector or vertical within within the fintech sector. And money transfer, it's a trillion-dollar industry. So we're seeing amazing things uh, in the world of money transfer with I mean, transfer wise, a Go transfer and Asimo, as uh, we know, a lot of um, migrant workers are sending micropayments abroad, but that adds up to, to trillions of dollars, and we're seeing investment in that space. Wealth management, too, uh, scalable capital is a good example. They just received a, a lot of investment from BlackRock. A lot of people are trying to take wealth management into their own hands. And we're seeing a lot of disruption in in that space. And they're just um, doing incredibly well. And blockchain. Everything is about the blockchain at the moment. So we're, we're seeing a lot of that. It's a very, very hot sector and one that uh, I don't think is going to go away anytime soon.
0: No, certainly, um, and particularly the growth of ICOs, um, the initial coin offerings that we've seen at the moment, is is a really burgeoning um, aspect that I'm sure we'll come on to Mm. discuss um, in a second. Just following on with your theme, Georgia, Um, Are you seeing particular countries or markets as having kind of more opportunity for growth within the fintech sector? Um, Do you see a challenge with international fintechs moving into certain markets? Or is it a case of more domestic fintechs kind of growing to serve the the local population?
1: So what we're seeing is London in my view, is still the epicentre of fintech in that we are a global uh, ecosystem and we have talent from all over the world coming here to set up and scale up their businesses. But what we're noticing is that these businesses don't necessarily want to stay here and penetrate the local markets. They want to go global. So their sites are very much at an international level. So we're seeing businesses scaling up here. But in terms of actually penetrating larger markets, we've seen a lot of excitement in Asia, particularly in India and China. So India is a very interesting nation. The population now has surpassed China, so it is the most populated country on Earth. And they have a very exciting uh, fintech sector. It's absolutely thriving. And you've got to ask the question, if you are a fintech play, you have access to over a billion people, and you've developed a product because you know the local knowledge, so you've developed a product that's won the hearts and minds of, of consumers, and you've developed one that is able to reach underbanked populations, SME firms. Do you need to scale outside of India? And the same thing applies to China. Do you really need to look beyond China to, to actually build an exciting, powerful fintech company? And more importantly, if these amazing startups that that are setting up, let's say, in, in Western Europe or the US, or let's let's talk about London, and want to, to penetrate India or China, will they be able to do that, given that there is such fierce competition, uh, competition uh, locally? So that is going to be a bit of a challenge, but very exciting times uh, for those two nations, and definitely to, to watch. Not only are these fintech companies you know, making tremendous inroads and and delivering great products for a, a vast consumer base, but they're making a lot of money, and we've got these tech titans that have risen to the ranks. So a perfect example is Alibaba, and obviously they they are now borderless. They're investing in the West, and what we're seeing as well is you know a lot of the money is coming from Asia um, and into into Europe. So it'll be interesting to see how that's going to influence our uh, sector as well. But it's going to be very challenging times for, for fintechs, I think, because the, the competition is, is very fierce. So.
0: No, absolutely. And, and certainly the time for uh, some fintechs to really flourish and, and take market penetration um, and, and get the investment and really kind of accelerate them to, to the next stage. Samir, from your perspective, um, we heard earlier that there's a lot of activity happening in reg tech. Mm. Do you want to give some thoughts around the reg tech market, but more generally your views as to what's hot right now? Is it
2: blockchain? Is yeah, it absolutely. ICOs? Is it something else? Absolutely. So uh, on ICOs, I'll, I'll, I'll profess I don't know a huge amount um, uh, uh, about them. But what I do know is that you know, China recently um, decided that they were illegal and has tried to regulate them away. And and what we have seen is more money has been raised um, through blockchain, for blockchain, through ICOs than has been invested in the sector to date. So um, what you're seeing is is ICOs are are a really good use case of an emerging use of technology to do something which has been around an activity which has been around IPOs for, uh, for for many years now, but which some jurisdictions are saying, actually, this is on the border of what we find financially viable and what we feel uh, is within the realms of regulation. And since that, that particular ruling, we've seen Bitcoin uh, tumble by about 6 or 7%, same with Ethereum. So what this does show is that regulation has an impact, a very tangible impact on the growth of some of these nascent industries. And Bitcoin, blockchain, Ethereum is just one of those. So I do think that how you raise money, whether it's through equity or debt capital, or whether you're looking at ICOs now as a way to, uh, to raise money for future tokens, I think these are really interesting conversations that I think are coming to the fore now and will continue to do so. So as a trending topic, as a hot topic, I think that's something which as there's more refinement of thought, uh, as other regulators come on board and, and give their own, um, you know, jurisprudence on that particular um, um, that particular activity, then I think that I, you know that's going to be coming to the vernacular a bit more.
0: And that certainly chimes with our experience at DLA Piper as well. Um, there's been a huge amount of focus and interest on ICOs and different fundraising structures within the blockchain and, and cryptocurrency market. Um, certain regulators um, are moving to either regulate or or eliminate them. Um, I know that the SEC has been looking to Mm. see whether they're regulated securities or not. Um, some people are potentially claiming that they're the new digital Ponzi scheme, but um, I think for those that are making the money at the moment, um, they might think otherwise. But, but certainly a really exciting aspect of the market that's really only happened in the last year or so in, in terms of the sort of the explosive growth. Um, let's focus a little bit more on, on RegTech. Yeah, absolutely. How do you see um, RegTech growing? And, and again, is it something that we need to foster to help flourish, or um, is the current environment already there for the, the right ingredients yeah. to, to make RegTech successful?
2: Absolutely. So I think there's, there's two sides of the coin to RegTech. I think what we've seen so far is, is what I'd like to almost coin sort of RegTech 1.0, which is this idea that uh, financial institutions are continuing to and, and I think will continue to deploy capital towards more efficiency in how they report uh, when it comes to uh, regulations. And I think that's understandable, given that something like globally $80 billion is spent on governance, risk and compliance. The market's expected to reach $120 billion in the next five years. So, you know, these are drivers for why we're seeing regtech as a subsector within fintech or alongside fintech, mm-hmm. gaining traction investment capital. Uh, moreover, I'd say, you know, we've seen a real rise in the regulatory burden since the global financial crisis in 2008 as well, whereby developed markets have seen a, an astonishing 492% increase in regulatory changes between 08 and 2015. So I think that's another driver why we're seeing financial uh, institutions invest in improving uh, inefficiencies within regulatory reporting, so through process automation, and that could include anything from predictive analytics and APIs to blockchain and cloud software. However, although that's where we're seeing activity now, that's RegTech 1.0, there are some uh, people out there who say that RegTech could be a means to encourage systems evolution or a redesigning of the regulatory architecture itself. And so I think that's the next wave of RegTech and what that might look like. Uh, And again, that's something that we've coined through a report that we we released through our Transatlantic Policy Working Group um, on digital financial infrastructure. And so I think that the sorts of things such as shared reporting utilities, public API stacks, that's the future of, I think, where RegTech's going. The real challenge is, unlike FinTech where you can encourage and develop markets, Reg Tech, at least from the perspective of regulators, is a bit more tricky. As a regulator, you can't give a particular nod to one technology over another. You've got to be totally objective. And so actually in creating that market where technologies can shape the way that financial regulation is done, it's much more of a balancing act. So I think the likes of what the FCA is doing through the reg sandbox is a good middle ground because what, what it's showing is... A, there are firms that are are looking at RegTech 1.0, looking at ways to encourage process automation. But at the same time, the regulator's got a bird's eye view of what technologies they may want to look inwardly and to use within their own four walls. So I think that's more of a a, a managed process where you're developing this market around RegTech. But certainly from the perspective of that second wave and and really the systems systems approach, I think there, there will be a challenge in developing a market for that. So, regulatory headwinds
0: are what everybody's thinking about at the moment, both within the financial services sector um, and more specifically for fintech organisations, especially as they scale across multiple countries and the challenges that go with that. Samir, a question for you. Where do you see things going from a regulatory perspective at the moment, Um, particularly thinking about UK centre of gravity with Brexit um, and what that's going to mean, say, for the European market, questions around potential loss of passporting, but also some thoughts from from other countries and regions where you're seeing um, regulators or policy enforcers taking positive steps to take hold of the the fintech juggernaut that is traveling around the globe at the moment?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I I think there's a few sort of challenges and risks as we move forward with with any subsector and especially a nascent one. Um, So where there are opportunities, there will also be some some potential risks to that change because you're introducing something that's different to the status quo. And and often a lot of these business models haven't been regulated for before. They may be similar in activity but slightly different in the way in which they do this. So I think those um, potentially pose some challenges, some problems, some new ways of thinking. And and as we've mentioned before, ICOs are, are just one facet of that. Um, I think for me, as we, as we move in you know, headfirst into this world, which is more and more driven by data and the sharing of data, um, they, that themselves um, or that itself presents challenges that are introduced. So if you take open banking, for example, we've already mentioned, you know, as you start to have third parties accessing sensitive customer data, whether it's transactional or read-only data, There'll be issues around how that's safeguarded, what mechanisms for consumer redress will be, uh, and how financial institutions will continue to manage the relationship they've built with those customers over decades. And I think there's a real threat that fintechs um, start to provide, who start to provide a suite of services that better manage your financial services, whether it's investment or savings or even it's whether it's through a a better current account experience. Um, I think the upsides potentially go to them in terms of that relationship and that improved customer journey and UI. But I think the downside, so for example, whether it might be you know fraudulent activity or mismanagement of data, those may reside with banks because ultimately you'll go to your banks and say, this went wrong. I authorized you know, a third party to use my credentials and, and you're my bank, so I'm coming to you for address. So I think that balancing act will be really important to get right with open banking if we're really gonna see it take off. Um, just to leave that point a little bit more for years now also as consumers we've been told not to share our personal data um, so i think there's a behavioral shift that will need to also occur in incentivizing users to do so so i think that initial inertia might be a challenge to achieving scale in open banking and again demographically when you break this down um, you know, millennials or, or post millennials, or, or whatever you want to call them, might be more digitally native. They might be more accustomed to sharing their data and seeing an upside. Mm-hmm. Getting those who are either financially excluded or those who are, you know, perhaps from a baby boomer generation or slightly older, to share their transactional data for a potential upside that they don't yet see, that's going to be complex. And I think those are some of the um, philosophical challenges. Um, that will need to be massaged around the technical challenges around open banking. Because technically, I don't think there's going to be a huge problem. So long as the APIs are up to date, so long as you have a good fundamental infrastructure which underpins it and a governance system in place, I think technically there won't be a huge number of issues. I think the issues really will be an uptake in getting consumer sentiment to change. Um, Also, uh, as as another point, as another aside, in terms of challenges and risks, associated with a data-driven financial services sector is the rise of cybercrime. So that's now a tier one national security threat alongside natural disasters and terrorism. So whether it's individual companies or whether it's on a state-sponsored level, we're really seeing a massive rise, a precipitous rise in cybercrime. So for example, the average cost to an SME of a cyber attack is between 65 to 115K per year. Uh, with one in three SMEs su- uh, suffering a cyber attack each year. So I think mechanisms to provide greater cyber resilience will be incredibly important, and I think fintechs could potentially provide a solution to that particular problem. Um, and then to your point on Brexit, which um, is, is, is a very tough one to answer um, without uh, you know, being totally wrong in about a week's time. So I think from a public policy perspective, it's, it's hard to quantify Uh, exactly what Brexit means, Um, largely because we're presently negotiating what form Brexit will take. So, you know, whether that's an end to free movement after Brexit, whether there's a transitional period, um, and if so, for how long, Uh, as well as questions over whether we'll have continued access to the single market and the customs union, these are currently being debated, negotiated, and actually are contingent upon the EU27, not just the UK. And I think that is something which should be prescient in in every listener's mind, is that although we may want a version of Brexit, that needs to chime with 27 other nation states as well. Um, But what we do know for sure is this does create uncertainty. And for a relatively nascent industry such as fintech, which really relies quite heavily upon capital, talent and skills coming from abroad, I think that does represent a potential challenge to the gains we've made over the past four or five years. And I think that's why for us as an industry, it's so important to continue to advocate for patient capital. So there's a patient capital review out for HM Treasury, which is so important. So I encourage people to to, to respond to that. Um, also sensible immigration reform, and as far as we possibly can, a continuity or equivalence in rulemaking, especially with respects to PSD2 and payments, and data, because they are pan-European. And also with respects to anything like uh, data, um, as you all know, Anthony, um, that you know, with GDPR, you just have to deal with European customers' data to be um, under the jurisdiction of GDPR. So to, to, to vary massively from GDPR, I think would be a potential uh, own goal. So I think having some form of equivalence there is something that we've heard across our members. And then finally, I'd say on sort of other hubs around the world, perhaps trying to take advantage of that uncertainty and and trying to shift that centre of gravity for fintech elsewhere. Um, And, you know, that could be Paris, Dublin, Frankfurt, it could be internationally. I think it's really hard to replicate what the UK has just overnight. Uh, you know, whether it's our wealth of financial, technical, regulatory professionals, or whether it's our flexible and forward-thinking regulatory environment, or whether it's just simply the fact that we sit geographically in quite a beneficial time zone, uh, which means, you know, it keeps us open to financial markets in the East and West. I think the UK personally will continue to compete on that international stage for fintech. But I think, and, and perhaps What I'd like to leave with in terms of the most important point is fundamentally we can't rest on those uh, natural advantages. You know, a head start doesn't mean a birthright in any sector. And so I think I'm of the fundamental belief that we need to actively drive sensible and progressive policy if we're going to stay ahead. Absolutely. I mean, uh, some
0: really interesting themes that you picked up on there, Samir. I mean, cybersecurity is the omnipresent threat for the industry at the moment. Um, and I think for many organizations, it's just a case of when rather than if. Um, and certainly, GDPR has actually tried to address some of the cybersecurity risks and impacts by getting people to think more holistically about their data and introducing mandatory um, breach. Notification obligations as well. It's also really encouraging to hear that um, hopefully we're not all having to move to to Paris or Frankfurt or Dublin and, and London may um, retain it, its preeminence um, within the sector. As a final um, thought for you, Georgia, how do you think see things moving with a thought around diversity, potential talent drain? shift of centre of gravity, is it going to be as bad as everybody keeps predicting?
1: Well, let's talk a bit about the uncertainty. So, of course, that's a concern post-Brexit. We don't know what the future holds. But what's interesting is that we work very closely with our fintech companies. And a lot of them have said it's business as usual. We're staying put. A lot of them are from European cities and they don't want to go back to Frankfurt or Paris. They left because they couldn't scale up and grow their businesses. And it's not just Macron trying to introduce new policies that are going to be more favorable to businesses. It's, it's the local culture. It's being able to feel comfortable enough as a fintech company to set up in Germany or to set up in France and to have all of the wonderful things that our ecosystem provides each uh, fintech company here in the UK to be able to, to service and to, to enable the companies to, to grow uh, the way they're growing here. So it's still business as usual for a lot of our fintech Place. We have noticed in the press that the big financial institutions are already putting in place contingency plans there. You know, there's some big banks that will be moving some jobs into Frankfurt. But we haven't seen that with the fintech companies, the startups. They are here. We did um, an analysis of VC Global Investment recently. so. It's up 37% from last year, this quarter. Wow. So that surprises us as well, because obviously uncertainty is uh, a big detriment in, in most cases for investment. But we did see an injection of, of capital uh, in, our, in our ecosystem, so that's a very positive story. And we've noticed that companies are still coming to the UK to set up post-Brexit. A good example is one called SpotCap, which provides loans to SMEs, so that's a European company that actually set up post brexit they said you know this is still the best place for us to expand our business because smes are still going to need loans we've got an amazing product we've got a market that's ready here and they're attracted to the ecosystem that we provide and samir did a brilliant job highlighting what the advantages are here in the uk so we cannot replicate what we have here overnight and we are the largest financial services sector in the world and that's not going to change overnight either. So I'm being very optimistic. Take it from me, I'm not even British, I'm foreign, I'm here to stay and I'm here to to help support the growth of of UK's global fintech sector.
0: Well, thanks to Georgia Hanius, Head of Global Communications and Diversity Programs at Innovate Finance, and Samir Gulati, Policy Advisor at Innovate Finance, for sharing their insights on the key issues surrounding diversity and policy in the financial services sector. Do look out for further podcasts from global business law firm DLA Piper, as we explore the influence of emerging technologies in business and wider society. Thank you again from me. DLA Piper partner and international fintech lead, Anthony Day.